somehow my regular intro evaporated the app. But this is our intro. It's nice country music. And live from the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up. For Monday, March 12th, the year 2018. Do you like this country music, Danny Flecker? Hold on. I think we're too loud here. Hi, Danny. Did uh, did you like my country music intro? Uh, definitely different. Caught me a little off guard. Yes, I, I have to get my song back in here. I'm not quite sure what happened. Anyway, we're here to talk about the wildness that has been uh, the last week in the NFL leading up to the new league year, which starts when? Tomorrow? Wednesday? Uh, I believe tomorrow at midnight. So, yeah, 24 hours, basically. Yes. Get your new league year ready, and then you can have the legal tampering period, or is that the NBA? I always get these things confused. So from what I understand, uh, is that there's a legal tampering period is basically tomorrow night to Friday, and then Friday is when you can officially make deals, you know, pen to paper, sort sort of thing. But from a lot of stuff I've been reading is that the legal tampering period is a crock of shit. I think a lot of deals you're going to see come through tomorrow have been finalized already. So. Uh, maybe with a couple of people here and there, depending on, you know, last minute franchise tags and everything else like that. That's a lot of people that are going to be moving, and the news that's going to be coming out on Wednesday Thursday have been in the works for some time. It's, uh, it's going to be wild if, if this is anything like the last couple, um, uh, couple of, of uh, weeks or so. Let's, let's just run right through these. Michael Bennett got traded. Your thoughts on that? Goes to Philly. That happened was it was an interesting move by the Eagles. You know, a team that's loaded up on uh, the defensive side of the ball, especially on their D line, a lot of key free agents on their part that they have chosen not to go after and trade for someone who's under contract. A little puzzling to me. You know, you have somebody that's kind of redundant in what they just feel to think for the you know, or where they're strong at, and they're letting other guys potentially go, you know, from a team that helped them win the Super Bowl. But, you know, it's an upgrade for them when they, when you look at it. They, from a, a cap number perspective, they had a guy like Vinny Curry, I think, counting towards like $10 million to the cap, whether they're going to move him, release him, trade him, whatever that might be. Bennett provides a savings from that point with probably better production. So um, it's an interesting move. I don't know if it's one I would make considering that the Eagles have some other guys that maybe I would be locking up in like a quarterback like Patrick Robinson, um, stuff like that, you know, positions that maybe are, are tough to find or, you know, once they're in your system, you understand what their strengths and weaknesses are. What I look on, too, the most surprising move was Seattle just basically having that, that be the domino that has taken apart their entire defense. Yeah, and then that I think is 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 the is is the most shocking thing is that this is a team that won a Super Bowl was um, was in another Super Bowl was so close to to so much uh, uh, were they in two Super Bowls or was it also an NFC Championship game whatever it was they were on the precipice of winning two Super Bowls and uh, 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 yes duh the whole uh, uh, Marshawn Lynch fiasco so yeah in two Super Bowls they they. Won one of them, Legion of Boom, and now Bennett's gone, and Richard Sherman goes to the 49ers, and he wants revenge. 
Yeah, and I, it's funny when he, when I saw the reports come out that he was going to get released. Uh, I was talking to one of my buddies about it. I go, you know, the move that he should make is to go to Forty Niners, and this is before there was even any type of uh, anecdote that he might go there. And you know, I said that if he wants to really spike them and kick them in the nuts, that's where he's going to go. And he did. And it's interesting. San Francisco goes from a team that this time last year was one of the worst rosters in the league to potentially having. Uh, this be the second part of a huge spending spree that they might partake in the next couple of days. So it's an interesting move by the 49ers. How good does it make them? I think, relatively speaking, they're, they're still not that good. I mean, you, you do have Jimmy Garoppolo, but there's still a lot of pieces on that team that, that don't make me say, okay, this is a potential playoff team, but that can change in the next couple of days. But then again, I say this all the time, just because you win March doesn't mean you win in February. So uh, uh, we'll see what, what kind of move that makes for, for the 49ers and what type of player Sherman will be coming off an injury. Yeah, there's been, uh, there's a lot of teams that think they've just won um, March. Uh, one of those is, is the Cleveland Browns, who we'll get to momentarily. Um your Giants picked up Alec Ogletree. They needed defensive help. They also need a lot of offensive help. Did you like that trade? I think it's a good player for them. Uh, you know, he comes with a significant cap hit, which is why I was a little surprised they did it to begin with. But um, Gettleman has proven in the past that linebacker is a position that he goes after. And you saw the units of growth in Carolina. Their best players were usually their linebackers. Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley. Um, you know, A.J. Klein, name a few guys, Shaq Thompson. He, he really valued the versatility that some of those linebackers could bring um, to you. So seeing them go after that was, was an interesting move. The fact that he was available was interesting to me after he just signed an extension. The L.A. Rams have done a lot of different things this offseason, too, already. But uh, I think it's uh, a move that they, they probably had to make, and they weren't going to find a guy that came on the open market and – and picking where they're picking and not going to get one of those guys in the draft either. So um, we'll see what type of player he is and what type of versatility he brings to that team, but he's already the best linebacker on their roster and he's going to play it down yet. Um, we, we interrupt this football conversation to, to ask this question. Isn't daylight savings time a wonderful thing? You get to drive home in, in uh, daylight. You know, I'll take it, it'd be nice if it wasn't going to be Two feet of snow up here tomorrow. Oh, geez, two feet of snow. Yikes. Uh, who, who knows, but it's, it's not going to be nice. No, this has been a weird, weird weather week. All right. In 24 hours, the Cleveland Browns acquired Tyrod Taylor, Jarvis Landry, Demarius Randall, the Packers' fourth and fifth round picks, the Patriots uh, uh, this year, the Patriots' third next year. They traded the, their 2018 third and fourth round picks, their 2019 Seventh-round pick. They got Deshaun Kaiser. They traded their fourth and fifth-round picks from 2018. They got Danny Shelton, and they traded another fifth. Cleveland Browns, your thoughts on your market set go? I'll start with uh, with Jarvis Landry and the Dolphins' stupidity in their front office. I know we always talk about how the Browns are a, a terribly run franchise, but... What was the point of the Dolphins tagging Landry? I, I just didn't understand that. The Browns were probably the only team that made sense. Them and maybe the 49ers, a potential trade partner for Landry, because he had a $15 million cap hit without a new extension. So the first part was, why the heck did they even franchise him? 
they, they got what they needed out of it, but dumb move on their part. Now you talk about the Browns. Landry is, I, I think, a, a good fit for what they had after they made the move for Tyrod. They have Josh Gordon. They have Corey Coleman. They have that Inuku, uh guy at tight end. Um, you know, all of a sudden the Browns' skill position players look serviceable. Uh, they, they, they look like a team that could be hang in some games. Uh, the trade for Tyrod was interesting, too. You know, a lot of buzz was that A.J. McCann was going to go there and, and, you know, Hugh Jackson's love affair with that. But I think that Buffalo showed their hand. They, they made a trade today that got them the 12th pick in the draft. Their, their love-hate relationship with Tyrod was one I could never understand. He was, I thought, really good for them. Uh, they did nothing that ever really helped him out. Uh, they got rid of all his receivers this year. Uh, they never really opened up the playbook for him. They were a run-oriented team to begin with. They never really, I think, trusted that he would be the guy that would get them to where they want to go. And now you look at a team that made the playoffs last year by the skin of their teeth. They, they could be looking at uh, 4-12 and or 6-10 and season this year because who's going to play quarterback for them? And, you know, they could get a guy like Case Keenum, Sam Bradford, but are they really that much of an upgrade from Tyrod Taylor? In my opinion, no, despite the year Keenum had. You know, they don't have any wide receivers. They don't have a tight end. The only guy they have is LaShawn McCoy. They just traded their left tackle. It's interesting that partnership that's up there right now with McDermott and whoever the, the GM is. I think it's Billy, Billy Bean or, or something like that. But, you know, Buffalo... Sure, they're going in for a quarterback this year, whether they stand pat at 12 or try to trade up and get somebody you know, in the top five, top six, we'll, we'll see. But um, I think Cleveland made out here. They, they got players that I think will fit their system with Hugh Jackson. They have leverage for the first and fourth pick in the draft this year. They, they could potentially you know, grab a guy like Quentin Nelson or, or Saquon Barkley, and all of a sudden that offense looks pretty good. So... I think they did a really good job of all those assets they had. You can't draft all those players. It puts a lot of risk on your roster because you have a lot of players that are inexperienced, and now they go all of a sudden into a team that has you know, pretty, pretty good slot receiver, pretty good QB, and wide receivers in general that can spread the field. Um, by the way, it is Brandon Bean who is the uh, Bills general manager. Billy Bean, obviously, the well, long-time A's. A's. Yes, yes, it is. There's a lot of beans out there. Uh, Bush's baked beans, Billy Bean, Brandon Bean, um, uh, bean bags. Or, uh, there's a lot of beans out there. Um, what I find interesting about what the Browns did, Danny, is that you are at a scenario where this franchise has tried everything. And now they've got the first and the fourth picks, and yet they do this big free agency, uh, um, uh, sorry, trade spending spree. They had all this cap space. Now the Jets have this the most after the Browns make these deals. I've never been convinced with Tyrod Taylor. I've never uh, uh, been impressed or convinced seeing him twice every year playing in the same division. This crop of quarterbacks, uh, I've seen mixed reviews on. Some think they'll be great, some think they'll be mixed great. Uh, my fear, if I'm a Browns fan, which I I'm not, but if I was, my fear would be that, that you are once again caught in between maybe a quarterback or maybe not a quarterback. Am I right? Am I wrong? I definitely think Tyrod's the stopgap for them, given his contract and everything else like that, but... You know, when I look at his numbers, he's efficient. He hasn't really turned the ball over a lot. He throws a nice deep ball. 
Uh, he moves the change. He's mobile. He can make up for some deficiencies you have on the offensive line. Uh, and you, you can't be the Browns and go through another season where you're throwing out just garbage back there. That is true. And Tyrod's probably their best quarterback since, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I can't even tell you. Probably since Jeff Garcia. <laughs> Oh, there's a blast in the past. That, that started, you know, for them over the last 25 years. You know, the, the Browns had to take a shot. Did they took it? You, again, you can't draft all those players. You, you build valuable, cheap assets, but at the same time, they're too inexperienced, and I think that's been their biggest problem. The inexperience from a coaching standpoint, GM standpoint, and QB standpoint. Now you have a GM that knows how the NFL works. You have a receiver that that Landry that you know not maybe the fast guy or a deep threat, but he knows what he's doing when he's running his route. A QB that doesn't turn the ball over has been in the NFL for seven or eight years now, and you all of a sudden go from a team that automatic loss every single week that could maybe you know pull out a couple of wins this year. I don't know if their defense is good enough, but they, they had like you said they had to do something. That my opinion is they still have to take a QB one or four. You can't. You can't keep having every single year be, okay, this is the year, this is the year. They have to take somebody and develop them. And we'll see. I, who knows what Hugh Jackson's role is going to be next year or the year after that. But I, I like the move. I think Tyrod doesn't get enough credit. And I think a lot of that has to do with the Bills in general and and the coaching staff that they had up there and the way they utilized him. But I think with an, you know, quote-unquote, experienced offensive guy as his coach and and coordinator they might be able to do some interesting things with people they have there we're talking to Danny Fleck about the NFL um and and prep for the new league here which does start Friday at 4 p.m eastern time um the Jets as I said uh I and, and as I've said for over a year look to be the prime contender for Kirk Cousins do you think it gets done they can guarantee him a ridiculous amount of money no I'll go back to the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago I think he's going to the Vikings. All a lot of signs point there. Uh, I said that was a dark horse team, given their cap space, given their roster, given his mentality. For him to end up, end up with the Jets, uh, I think if you're the Jets, you need to be that desperate to give him all that money. You're just hamstringing your franchise even further in case it doesn't work out. And, and even if he goes there, the Jets, I don't think, are a playoff team next year or the year after that either. So uh, I don't think he goes to the Jets. I'm going to say the Vikings or the Broncos. Two teams, I think, were the highest on, on his list, and I think that's where he's going to end up. One of those two teams, but my, my money's on the Vikings. All right, then where do the Jets go? If you're the Jets, you, you got to look at either McCown or or Keenum. I think those are the two guys that could potentially be fit there. Uh, both play very similarly. You know, they're they're mobile enough to get outside the pocket, extend plays. The Jets have a deceivingly good receiving core, you know, with Inouye coming back, Robbie Anderson. It doesn't look like Safari and Jenkins might be back, but they, they do have some pieces there with Kurtz and and Curly and their running backs. But um, my guess is that Keenum, maybe even Teddy Bridgewater, might be a fit in in, in, the, uh, in the Meadowlands for them. Bridgewater might be the best option, just given he's younger. You can probably get him on a a cheaper deal for a longer term and then you can build around him. Um, I was going to say something. I forgot what it was. Um, 
Uh, I totally forgot what I was going to say, so let's scratch that, and we'll come back to it at a later time. Um, we've got all these other deals that happen. Akeem Tlaib got traded. Martellus Bennett got cut. DeMarco Murray got cut. Uh, um, excuse me. Elmas Doomerville got cut. Torrey Smith got traded. Which of those, if any, stuck out to you? Tlaib, definitely. Uh, I mean, Dominic Masu got cut today, too, so... Yeah. I think what we're seeing, a couple things from the trade market. One, teams aren't afraid to trade anymore. If they find a player that they've signed is not a good good fit anymore, they're willing to cut bait because they want the flexibility of the cap. And I think the increased cap has caused a lot of this. You have players that are signing for over-market contracts, getting a lot of money not living up to their contract, changing personnel, changing coaching. Uh, these players are fit with one regime, not the other regime. So yeah, if teams can cut bait, save some money, go after players they want to go after, they're going to do it. And a lot of those have to do with inflated contracts. I think if these players were more, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but better valued, then I think that they would stick it out. But the fact that they're not, they're going to get rid of them. Another thing is that a lot of these people getting traded are on rookie deals. So a lot of these teams are like, you know, if we can get two years of service from them for a draft pick, maybe that's better than getting a draft pick for four years. You know, it's a proven commodity. We, we, we know what they have on tape. We know what they, how they can fit into our system. Maybe that's a better value for us to get a guy for two years rather than for four years. And, you know, you saw that with Marcus Peters, Brandon Cooks last year. Marius Randall from the Packers. All these guys are still on their rookie deal. I mean, Jay Jai was another guy uh, during the season last year. So these teams are more, more comfortable taking these guys for two or three years, getting what they can out of them, maybe developing people behind them, and then saying, okay, we'll see you later. You go get that contract you need. So uh, I think the inflated cap, the constant turnover with, with personnel, and, and draft picks maybe not being as valuable as they used to be are all contributing to a lot of these trades we're seeing. You want to talk about the Rams and all the moves they've made? Yeah, I mean, I understand what they're doing. I think it's a little short-sighted, if you ask me. I don't know, from a personality standpoint, how everybody fits on that team. You have a lot of alpha males, so to speak, you know, in that locker room. And you take on people that potentially could be headaches for you down the road. But if you're the Rams, you're in a, in a sticky spot because you have a new stadium opening. You have Aaron Donald, Todd Gurley, and Jared Goff that are all going to be coming out for monster extensions based off the way they've been playing. Although I think Goff will be taking a step back. I don't think he's as good as everybody's pointing him out to be. Uh, but you have to free up cap space, and they did that with some trades. But... You get to lead for two years, Peters for two years. If he drafts well enough, you know they, they could be a, a team that that's there for a little while. But it, it's an interesting set of moves, and you know one that a lot of people think puts them in the driver's seat for that that division. But I'm going to be very interested to see how that team meshes together with a very young coach and um, a lot of personalities on that team that could potentially derail a season. Sean McVay is two years older than us. It boggles my mind all the time. Um, every time I think about it. I don't know how I would deal with a guy like Tlaib or Peters, to be honest with you, but they're lucky they have a guy like Wade Phillips there who can maybe corral those guys a little bit, but 
you know, they substituted LaMarcus Joyner and Tremaine Johnson, two younger guys that, that played well for them last year that were up for big contracts for Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters and Sam Shields. So they saved a lot of money knowing they have to give a lot to, to their players coming up, but there are interesting moves, and one has to think, if these, play, if these teams are so interested in getting rid of these players, why are they? But, again, I think teams are valuing their draft picks less if they know they can get a known commodity that they can have under control for a couple of years and then figure out if they want to franchise tag them or, or extend them. Two things, uh, uh, two more things. Um, who out there come Friday is interest is are are you most interested to see how it shakes out? Um, I'm interested in Allen Robinson, guy who was a beast in, in Jacksonville, was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, put up good numbers, coming off an ACL tear first game of the season from a team that went to the AFC Championship game without him. You know, I think he's very, very, very good. Uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, big wide receiver, can run all the routes that you need him to run. You know, reports are out there that Green Bay, Chicago, San Fran, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville still, Washington, all interested in him. I think that's an interesting player. I'm also interested to see where Sue ends up. Uh, another weird personality to deal with in the locker room, but still very productive. And then I know it's not sexy to talk about, you know, offensive linemen, but I'm interested to see where Andrew Norwall goes. Undrafted guy, everybody's connecting the dots to the Giants, but there are teams out there with much more cap space than them that could potentially just pay him every, anything he wants. So I'm kind of interested to see how far teams are willing to go and spend to get the people that they want and where they end up. Final thing, who wins your bracket? It's tough. I, I've been going back and forth. I filled out a preliminary line. I have Virginia, UNC, Michigan State, and Nova in the Final Four. But Villanova and North Carolina in the championship game, but that is by no way written in pen. So I'll probably change it a couple times before Thursday. I have Nova over UNC in the championship game uh, for myself. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about today. It's just a lot of teams that are just very, very similar and I think when you get to March in your college basketball team, you got to look at the coaching, what coaches are good at coaching in March, and you need shooting. If you're a defensive team and you rebound, that's great, but if you can't hit shots or your free throws at the end of the day, it's going to be tough to win, especially in a a knockout tournament. So I think the teams with, with good coaches that have been there before, done it, senior teams, there's not a lot of people talk about, like, you know, we always hear about the one and done and everything else like that, but uh, you look at teams that have a lot of experience, I think that they're going to be poised to, to go far. And, and, you know, coaches like Tony Bennett, Roy Williams, Tom Izzo, Jay Wright, you know, they, they know what they're doing in March. So uh, that's what I have now, but again, I think it might change. Danny Flecka, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. No problem, man. Have a good night. You too, and thank you all for listening, and uh, enjoy your week.